0: Hey, it's Daryl White, and I am here as part of the, uh, the the Interventional Mindset team, and this is just cool. I am here with <laughs> the Mitch Jackson. DJ MJ and I are rocking it here, and this, this is just such a privileged uh, Mitch. I'm, I'm so happy to be with you. It's been, shoot. I think we met 21 years ago, man. And uh, it's it's been like forever, a couple of lifetimes.
1: I know. I think we were like high school together. It was like our college it was 21 years ago. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like absolutely.
0: That. No question about it. You know, second grade best buds. So uh, thanks for
1: having me, Daryl. This is uh,
0: awesome. Great to have you here. So, uh, so for those of you, um, both of you who don't know who Mitch is, Um, Mitch has been a long-term kind of thought leader in all things anterior segment, and like uh, myself, Mitch was one of the very, very first laser refractive surgeons all the way back in the early 90s when all of the eczema lasers were first being approved, and People who've known Mitch for a long time, the first thing we think of is Mitch Jackson, the LASIK surgeon, thousands and thousands and thousands of cases later and everybody forgot, well, you know, hey, the guy does cataract surgery too. And over the years, we've been able to tap into your expertise and what I, what I thought we'd talk about today, since um, Priya and I are heading up the ocular surface part of the interventional mindset, we were curious about how you were prepping your patients for cataract surgery and how you were using the available pharmaceuticals that we have around the time of the surgery and post-operatively. So um, let's let's just kick it off. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, what your journey has been from to, what did you do back in the day why did you change? Where are you now? And, and why? And if you get out of control, I'll interrupt you. you know, I'm, I'm good at that.
1: <laughs> so I got some of my DJ gig uh, invites from maybe about 40 of my 50 <clears throat> shows. About nine of them are back here from the old House of Blues days. I, I kind of miss that because you know COVID kind of <laughs> derailed we, all the fun.
0: We miss being there. <laughs> um, There's some great memories.
1: Good memories, but it's a great, the journey's been great. You know, just like Daryl, I'm um, 31 years in the biz. I'm starting my 29th year in private practice, you know, refractive cataract surgery. And the early days, it was not so good drops
0: <laughs>
1: nope. and a lot of generic stuff and a lot of stuff that just beat up my surgery results, as we all know. And I've always been a big branded guy. If I use drops, brands. For me, because I, I like the the studies are their studies on them, their the preservatives are more gentle, the moisturizers, whatever it is, there's less damage to my outcomes in my surgeries. And I do 40% premium cataract surgery, whether it's laser refractive cataract surgery, or premium IOLs, and we all know the players out there, but I don't want my outcomes being ruined from a generic substitute. So I'm actually hundred percent branded. It is very rare. A patient makes it by me with a generic substitute. I make them bring their drops. We use a boutique pharmacy in Chicago that helps us get all the approvals. So that helps. And I know they get their drops. So it's half the problem? Do they get drops? But there's some other things that have come along. There's a lot of options now. We don't have to do sure. all drops, but when I do drops, uh, they're always branded, um, So that's the first thing. So I've come from the world of not so good drops that were branded and always substituted in generic to really good drops that are branded and not substituted. now. And so the outcomes are better that way. And remember the early drops you had to use four times a day, every two hours, three times a day. Now it's like once a day or twice a day. So compliance is always better when you get the same effectiveness at once or twice a day with... Less side effects from them, and so compliance improves, and less toxicity, and all the good stuff that comes out.
0: Did you ever do? Um, and I this this always really surprised me when you know really really bright people colleagues would would have a, something like this, you know Mrs. Smith, I want you to take this one four times a day. This one's three times a day. This one's two times a day, um, and that was their standard protocol, or the the protocol would change week to week. And what I remember was how many phone calls that generated in the office and we don't get them, of course, uh, but eventually it word filters to us through the office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, Dr. Jackson, you know, I can't do my job. Like, you know, Mrs. Smith wants to know, is the gray one three times a day or is the pink one that's three times a day? So uh um, they
1: changed the color cast and put them on the wrong bottle, and then now they're using the wrong one four times <laughs>
0: a day. And now, like,
1: I've been using the gray one once a day, and it's really the pink one once a day, and the gray one's now four times a day. So there's yeah. that issue. I call it the cap switching. Yep. Then, yep. Yeah. But, I mean, realistically now, I'm at a surgery center. I don't own my own surgery center. Uh, luckily pray to god we'll have a new building next year and i'll be doing ior and have my own capability to do all my cases in-house or most of them and i'll have a little more control i'll be able to do intercameral antibiotics i can't do intercameral antibiotics unless there's an fd approved formulation where i'm at really yeah they will not let me do that because there's no fd approved so i can only do fd approved items at my surgery center so omidria from Omeros, I can do Dextenza from Oculotherapeutics, I can do DexEQ from iPoint I, uh, I Pharmaceuticals. So I can do those three, but I can't do intracamalinoiditis. So I t- I'll tell you what I would do if I could do intracamalinoiditis, and I'll tell you what I do now, and then I'll tell you what I will do in the future with what we have now, and then new stuff's coming. Anyway, that may change. So. So but let's, let's start. Yeah.
0: Let's start with the yeah. standard. Uh, patient comes in. Mrs. Smith comes in. Doesn't want to have. Uh, doesn't want to upgrade. Doesn't want to toric. Doesn't want to presbyopic correcting IOL. Um, is not interested in the light adjustable lens. All of which are things that you offer. Um, you're, there's nothing in in the United States that anybody could possibly have from a cataract surgery that they can't get from 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 MJ. So, but you've got Mrs. Smith, she comes in, and you know, I don't mind wearing glasses. I've worn glasses since I was 11. Um, just, I, I want to have a basic IOL. What's your um, pre op, intra op, post op regimen for her with whatever your standard issue um, monofocal IOL is? So, I mean, they.
1: They'll get drops, so they're going to get an antibiotic drop, all branded, an antibiotic drop twice a day, a non once a day, and a steroid twice a day, because I'm using branded stuff, so it's a little more efficacious, I'll do the generic lack of efficacy and other side effects. So it's not too bad. I like to start my drops three days pre-op. I still do the three-day pre-op for several reasons. I know that I make sure they got their drops, they start to practice and use them on their eye. And then I also do one other thing. This is a Paul Koch trick from uh, Rhode Island. He taught me, I have them use cyclo before they leave their house to dial, start dilating their eye, to mark their eye. Yep. And that saves so much time and efficiency when they get to the surgery center, not only have they started to dilate the pupil, which helps me, they've already marked their eye indirectly. The worst they've ever done is dilate both eyes, big deal, but that happens so rarely. They always dilate the correct eye. They know what eye they want (laughs) fixed. So, and then, you know, it's like a big deal. You know, we have to mark above here. I mean, I'm not doing surgery on the eyebrow. They already marked the eye, but whatever. But that's the other thing we do on the day of. But they started three days pre op. I know they've gotten them. Then um, there's no way we're going to have drops for day one. If they've already been using them for three days, they already have them. And then post op. Then we put a shield, unless it's a light adjustable lens because they're fancy goggles, the UV protective goggles. And then um, they they get nothing that day. I put a little ointment in the eye at the end, whatever the surgery center allows me to use, just to you know lubricate the eye line ointment. I don't do subponge uh, injections. Um, if I do dextens and Dexiq, I'll tell you how I do that um
0: because so even are my, you actually are you doing that on your basic IOLs yeah and you, I'll tell you
1: I, I do I have a system doesn't matter if it's premium or basic on who gets that because that may eliminate the steroid then they have to use post-op yes yes and so then let's assume they don't get those and then they're still on drops and then post-op as long as corneal DM or anything isn't crazy wasn't a really dense cataract you know routine follow they will be a once a day non-steroidal probably a, uh, for a month non-high risk cases uh for CME or other things. They'll get steroid twice a day for one to two weeks for to help with the corneal DMR and clear the inflammation. Antibiotic twice a day for a week. So it's not a lot of drops. It's doable and they don't have to have somebody helping them. It's only morning or morning and night. So it's not too inconvenient. Yep. Um, obviously if it's a more advanced case or complicated case, you might have to up the steroid drop a little bit or we go from there. If we have a system, we kind of—I use OSI. So anybody who has an HD analyzer, objective scatter index, I use F pre-op as my brightness acuity test device. Mm-hmm. And so the denser the cataract, the higher the OSI or objective scatter indexes. If we have a system, it's really easy. So when my fellow and I are doing all the charts pre-op, before we even get to this three days before surgery, we're deciding, you know. Have they been upgraded? Or are they a basic lens, you know, monofocal, whatever it is? Everybody, we use the same system, whether they're upgraded or not upgraded. And so, for the surgery center, for them to get a Dextenza or dexeq, they have to be a pure Medicare, not Medicare Advantage, at least our center, is what they tell us, with a secondary. And so it's marked. And if they qualify for insurance purposes for the pass through, then it's marked. And then based on the objective scatter index, if it's a under, I believe it's 2.5 or less, they get Dextenza. If it's greater than 2.5, a little denser cataract, they get DexEQ. So if they are at 2.5 or under and they qualify for insurance, it doesn't matter if it's basic or premium, even my basic ones will get Dextenza. And uh, then we just do a non and antibiotic afterwards. We eliminate the steroid. If they have breakthrough, And we'll just give them a sample, and hopefully we can get them through the breakthrough with a sample. Worst case, they got to get one more drop. And then if if they're over 2.5-A objective scanner index, we've slated them to have DexiQ. The DexiQs, in my experience, really haven't had a lot of breakthrough, because that's inside the eye. But occasionally, you might have some breakthrough inflammation where they have to go on a steroid. But then again, they're only on a non-steroidal and an antibiotic. I use Omidria, and a lot of people say if you use Omidria, do you really need the non-steroidal plus up? I still use it because I don't know if it really will last out a month or so. I know some of the publications have showed the benefit of that. I still, I like to have the non once a day for a month. If they're a high risk case, then I want it maybe longer.
0: Denise Fisco and and Keith Walters have have published some
1: pretty,
0: pretty pretty impressive stuff looking at Omidria instead of using a topical NSAID, right. Um, And there's also some pretty provocative stuff out there right now about uh, I think in the Orange Journal just this month, there was an article from um, from Europe that was showing that if we're thinking about CME the uh, the use of an NSAID alone is sufficient. There was no difference between the NSAID and the NSAID steroid combination when we're looking at the instance of CME. And CME defined as, I think it was an increase in central macular thickness of 25 microns, so pretty low bar.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I don't so- know if we're going to
1: need steroids. I still use, I like the steroids for the corneal edema part. I think Bill Trowler always says, we still need steroids for corneal edema. And i like, We all do good surgery, and there isn't a lot of corneal edema, but you still want people to see pretty quick, especially if they have an upgraded lens. Mm -hmm. You want to just get things cleared as fast as possible, especially if you're operating a week apart between eyes like I do for most of mine. So I like him in that surgery the first week to get him cleared as fast as possible.
0: Now, do you do anything differently with folks who are upgrading, people who are choosing to have your refractive package and I know that the light adjustable lens is relatively new for you so let's just set that aside and let's uh, because they're really um, you know they're I don't know there maybe there are 200 of you in the United States right now they're just not <laughs> that many guys doing the light adjustable lens it's that a man, movement no I'm kidding well wow, yeah you're <laughs> once guess. again cutting edge man but So if we're thinking about a toric IOL, presbyopia correcting IOL, depth of focus IOL, you know, we all know the different different brands and the the different ones out there. But you've got a patient who's decided that uh, he or she would like to have more spectacle independence at some distance, maybe it's all distances, and they're uh, paying an additional amount of money for something which isn't covered by any insurances. Are you making any adjustments in your pharmaceutical approach in those patients, or are you just for purposes of consistency doing exactly the same thing with everybody based on what you just said?
1: So I'd say 90% of them, if their insurance allows it, I try and get the dexedensite in as I feel that really helps the ocular service of these patients. I don't think it's so much the intraocular benefit as much as the, extra ocular benefit Mm -hmm. on the ocular surface i think it really helps in those patients the other thing is so if they qualify i always do that if i can um i also when you say pharmaceutical i do anything to optimize ocular surface not just pre-op but post-op too at the continuum these people i tell them all my ODC, most of them and they they're really good she's really good at making sure they understand the impact on the ocular surface on the outcome of these technologies yep. so they're yep. very well educated ahead of time most of my patients will opt for we, we only have thermal uh, treatments in our office we have tear care and uh, flow for the most part and so we try and get them uh, if with a light adjustable lens right now our cost includes one of those treatments for that technology interesting um so we don't we ha- we don't do it for all of them yet we're looking at that um, but you know the the par- the it's changing out there on the reimbursement side so that might all yeah. change we'll let so that
0: go we'll, we'll, we'll let, let that, that go, go. So, we'll let but, that go
1: the, but the big thing is we are offering it right now for light adjustable but we still look uh, even if we have to do it with patient will pay extra for that or we'll get them on a appropriate pharmaceutical agent or whatever it is, we're gonna get the ocular surface as optimized either pre-op and or post-op and maintain it post-op. So that's the additional pharma approach we do with those patients.
0: We're pretty aggressive with that. And we're very aggressive with that actually. If we find any evidence of any dryness uh, preoperatively on both the uh, monofocal IOLs, but especially the upgraded IOLs, we know that we're gonna make patients more dry after the surgery. Um, right. And I think we, um, I, you know, we have to give big ups again to, to, to Bill Trotler. Bill was the first one to show the big effect of treating the dryness on your preoperative evaluations. And then Bill and, and Eric Donenfeld had a couple of papers which were equally influential looking right. at how badly things can go off the rails post-operatively. So we actually are, are super aggressive with the immunomodulators. If you yeah. have a quick tear breakup time, if you've got some punctate keratopathy, if you've got some conjunctival- Abnormal, tear osmolarity, right? yep. all the- Yeah, yeah we're gonna, um, and we know, I mean, I know that even if I do a picture perfect surgery that, uh, you know, even one that that Uday Devgan would put on cataract coach, you know, that's you <laughs> know, the pinnacle for cataract surgeons. Um, shout out to our, to our guy Uday. Um, they, I'm still going to make their eye dryer. And right. so we're, we're also very, we're aggressive with that. But one difference between what, what you're doing and, and what we're doing, and I'm interested that, that this is the case, still don't use steroids. Um, we, we still don't use steroids on a routine basis. We use steroids if we've got someone who's got a bitter dry eye and I feel like I'm really going to upset the apple cart after the surgery. Um we have the luxury in both of the surgery centers where I operate, where I can use intracameral antibiotics, and I use moxifloxacin unless there's a, an, anaphylactic, uh, allergy to it, and then and then we use cefuroxime. But uh, the we we've been doing very very nicely with just using the topical NSAID. I love Omidria. I I, I think Omidria is absolutely. Yeah.
1: We it, use it hundred percent of cases. So I'm a it, big
0: fan of it. In one of my surgery centers, I use it on hundred percent of cases. Yeah. Um, in the other surgery center, I'm not allowed to use it. So not on like, <laughs> it's the, crazy, isn't that crazy? It's madness. And <laughs> so madness. you know, there are there are a couple of things that happen in the one where I can't use it. Number one, I use uh, many more pupillary dilators, I use you know, many more rings. Right. Um, and you know, I also walk out of the that uh, I, I walk out of that operating room after a morning of surgery and I look like I, I just did like the world's worst CrossFit workout. I'm just, you know, I'm dragging my tongue's <laughs> yeah. down to the ground and um, it's a lot more walking, work. I yeah. walk out of the other one and it's like, you know, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's go run a marathon. Um, I agree. So where do you see it? Uh, where do you see it going, Mitch? Where do you see the, um, so I'm going to give you a, a crystal ball, but I'm also going to make you King MJ uh, for, for a okay. moment. And where do you see, Well, let's start with where you hope to see it going in the next six months to 24 months. And, and then I'm going to take back your king for a day and going to give you your, the crystal ball back and tell me where you really think it's going to go. So where, where do you want it to go?
1: well ideally we want where a patient never has to use a drop that's that's the ideal world yep um because in the end there's a cost inconvenience toxicity compliance you know whatever it might be um it makes all our lives easier it's it's caught it's 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 costly to the office because there's Prior else, even if we use a boutique pharmacy, stuff still has to be sent. There's callbacks. I mean, just office issues with it, patient issues with them. So um, I'll get back to the reality where we're probably going to be, but in the ideal world, absolutely nothing. And some people actually get away with nothing, but I'm not sure we have the perfect everything yet to be free of everything. Um, there, when that, you know, the trimoxy and the vitreous came out, that was like the big deal. Like, hey, we got it. We don't need anything. And I remember how exciting that was. And I actually did it. I did, I did pars plana. I got brave and did pars plana because I didn't like going through zonules. I didn't like going through zonules. I'm like, we're supposed to keep those intact, I thought, in surgery. So why am I going to go that route? So I'm like, I could probably aim a freaking needle pars plana until one day I nicked the ciliary body and had a vitreous hemorrhage, and then I stopped doing trimoxy. Right. Took one n equals one time right. and I was done. Right. So that was it. So yeah, I even, was
0: even at that. You've got more hutzpah than I did because I yeah. I you know I said no. Just yeah. I yeah. you nicked
1: know, it one time. I was like, eh, yeah, 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 we're done with this one. Yeah. Be, when it, I it said
0: exactly. Francis Francis Ma had a. I wish that I was as good as some of the other people with remembering the the real you know like uh, in such and such a journal at such and such a time in such and such a year. But anyway, um, Francis Ma had a. a a, uh, a study where he looked at combined phaco trabeculectomy with intracameral antibiotic and steroid and compared that with post-operative drops and there was no difference in the inflammation and you know it doesn't matter how good a surgeon you are a, a phaco trabeculectomy is going to be more traumatic than than a routine oh phaco- yeah if that was gonna if that was good enough but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if we could get to a No place, drops.
1: Yeah, no get drops. To that
0: place and, and, you know, I think now um, with the Arvin study that came out, 2 million cases that showed uh, an order of magnitude less with intracameral antibiotic, um, I think that that's a done deal. So if you, if you, heaven forbid, get endophthalmitis and use intracameral antibiotics, it's still standard of care.
1: Right. That's what my center needs. They need something like one of those studies where they can say, "Okay, we can do it now. The FDA has approved it." Right, I'm but you know, I did it for four years in one surgery center where they didn't care. I did it for four years, and I hate it when I will switch to a different surgery. I know, center. I know. I, they I, wouldn't I, let me use it. I'm like, what the world?
0: I, yeah, and the, and so intracameral antibiotic. I think uh, omidria. I, I think the data that that Denise and Keith have have come out with is really, really compelling. awesome. And, and, and then the only time that I would use drops, if, if I really, if we could do that was, I would use drops the way you're using them on the ocular surface. Right. That's, That's something with the ocular surface. All right. So I'm going to take away your King for a day. Okay. Now, but I'm, I'm giving you your crystal ball um, a year from now. Are we dropless?
1: I'm probably going to be on a non-strudel once a day, because I'll be able to do intercaramel out my eyes. Okay, I'm probably going to be on a non-steroidal once a day and then ocular surface stuff if I have to do it, you know, but just, you know, pure cataract pharma. Yep. I think I'll just be down to once a day, non-steroidal.
0: Well, that makes me feel good because that's what we've been doing for the last four years.
1: Yeah, Uh, you rat. (laughs)
0: One drop once a I'm day. I'm a year away. <laughs> One drop once a day. Unless they have diabetic retinopathy, I, I think the, the data from Europe is really right. good. The, the latest data that says diabetes isn't what matters, it's di- uh, diabetic retinopathy. Or an epiretinal membrane. Um, right, I'm, some I'm, other high-risk issues. Yeah, I'm so, so impressed by how fickle those epiretinal membranes can be.
1: If you um, if you have a history of endophthalmitis in the other eye, would you just do intracameral antibiotic only on the second eye?
0: So that's, that's another really
1: one. I may add stuff so
0: topically really, too. Really so prob- it's really tough. So I, probably I, you know, something <laughs> I'm not, uh, ballsy <laughs> enough, I'm not ballsy enough to not do it. Uh, <laughs> I have one, I have one patient in my practice who had a, uh, who had a massive, massive, massive cellular response. And uh, culture negative. Multiple cultures negative. Twenty twenty minus uncorrected. He's got a uh, presbyopic correcting IOL in that eye. Has postponed the surgery in the other eye for two years, which is fine. <laughs> but I don't think. You know, I don't, I really, I, I think that he just had a massive inflammatory response. I really don't think it was- Probably, more,
1: probably more of a task thing than yep, a real right, enough. Right, you. so- You never know. You have to assume it's that till proven yep, otherwise. Will I,
0: will I put him on an antibiotic?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Probably. Probably, probably. 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 But, I
1: actually will add a little extra eye. A little yep. a little of, a little of everything extra.
0: Yep, but- <laughs> All right, so let's yeah. switch gears. We've got a couple minutes left and okay. uh, let's, let's go, go back to the future and yeah. let's talk a little bit about laser refractive surgery. Um, this, you know, I, I think, you know, you and I may have been one of the, the you know, two of the first hundred laser refractive <laughs> surgeons in the country, um, which I always tell people, I, 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 uh, I do this just to tease our friend, Bill Wiley. I, I tell folks here that I'm the longest tenured LASIK surgeon in Cleveland. <laughs> and, and, and then, and, and of course, Bill has done many, many more surgeries than I have. He's an yeah, extraordinary surgeon. Uh, but then I, after a pause, I go, which basically means that I neither retired nor died. So, uh, <laughs> but we've seen, we've seen a huge nice. evolution. And just for the sake of, of uh, those of our, our listeners or watchers who are out there, who might still be doing laser refractive surgery of any type. What's your regimen now? What's, what's your uh, pre-op and post-op regimen for your patients who are having LASIK or PRK or, um, you know, if you're going to do smile for smile?
1: Yeah. So I only do LASIK and PRK right now. I'll have smile next year. I probably won't alter it much. But for, for PRK LASIK, the big difference is a non-steroidal drop. So PRK, uh, I'll start with PRK. I've done like the cycle of things. I've done the Gabapentin, Neurontin, that whole process. I just, you know what I do? And I even did the dilute anesthetic drops for like seven years in there. I've done everything. So now I just do a bandage contact lens. Of course. Um, course. You know, the one of your choice. I have my favorite Um, until the epithelize. And I do antibiotic drop twice a day until the epithelize. I'll do a Steri drop twice a day until the epithelias. I do a non drop until the epithelias. When the lens comes out, um, I keep on aggressive lubrication. I keep on a, a, a steroid drop branded for about three weeks. I do mitomycin on all my PRK case, cases, and I actually do immune modulators. I do something with cyclosporin in it. I'm a big cyclosporin fan, post PRK, to reduce post-op pace. Um, and uh, and I do that out three to six months and I feel it helps with the dryness and everything else on the recovery. So that's what I do on PRK. With LASIK, I don't use a non-steroidal. I do an antibiotic and a steroid after flap is down, obviously not under the flap. Because um, some of these and gel things, as you know, from the askers alerts, right? you can't do that. No. your flap is down.
0: No. no. And, and uh, obviously we op- have to
1: go Right. And on
0: top of the contact lens too, not under the yeah, contact lens. On
1: top of the contact on lens. Top of of yeah, right. On top of contact right. lens after PRK. It's, like, it's, oh,
0: not yeah, a cal- it's not a calzone, it's pizza. It's pizza, you got it.
1: And right. so with the LASIK, so I do antibiotic steroid just for a week. And they're on aggressive lubrication. And I use cyclosporine for three months to six months post-op with the dry eye recovery. And that's what I do. You know, I'll put a puncto plug or whatever I have to do for either of them if I feel they need that as well. Um, I used to do it routinely in the early days with mechanical microkeratomes. Everybody got a, dis- a dissolvable pump of plug at the time of the procedure because those were a little, little harsher recovery than the uh, all-laser <laughs> approach we do now, but now I do it kind of all la carte. I,
0: I, I think we're very similar. The one thing that, I've, that I'm doing that's a little bit different is I've stayed with the traditional longer tapering dose with the steroid with PRK and i found that i'm 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 getting a more predictable result with that and it may just be that i've built that into my nomogram i think right
1: it's your nomogram probably yeah, right you've
0: got you've got built into your nomogram the fact that you're going to be taking them off steroid more quickly and plus i use a cyclosporine
1: so i have that all bolted. well you said so oh, this I prk I okay, right, right.
0: with prk i'm using immunomodulator modulator in every single patient yeah. and frankly Um, If I have a patient who's got dryness to the point where I would put them on an immunomodulator, I'm not doing LASIK anymore. I'm doing a surface procedure on them. I have found over the years that the impact of the dryness is um, of shorter duration and lower severity. severity. Yeah, I agree. Surface procedure rather than a flap creation procedure, and I don't think it matters what laser you're using to make flap. And mm. I don't think it matters if you even a, a mechanical keratome. Um, yeah. I think Dick Duffy, who was again one of the pioneers, I think Dick is still using, or he was at least a few years ago, still using mechanical keratome. And Dick's flap, I've seen Dick's flaps. I've seen his surgeries. I mean, they're still they're, they're magnificent. They're just absolutely right. beautiful. But you're still making a flap, and I think yeah. the impact of the dryness there is greater than if you're doing a surface procedure. Yeah, I
1: agree 100%. Yeah, I had mechanical microcarotomes on my eyes 21 years ago. <laughs> Me too,
0: 1999, 22 years ago. I, I, I had, you were the uh,
1: same. I was yeah. your 2000, actually.
0: Yeah, mine so, was 1999. Dave Harden did my uh, my LASIK. Hey, Dave, thanks uh, thanks again. John
1: Talamo uh, did mine. Thanks, John. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, uh, and, and, you know, still it was it was great uh you know I, I was 39 when i had it done i had you know seven or eight years of grace and you know then i got old that's where reading glasses yeah
1: like that. lovely. Well, that's a whole so, that's a whole nother podcast
0: yeah well we got podcasts, podcasts, the podcasts, stuff. podcasts.
1: that's a few. But, oh yeah i can't imagine
0: well i am thrilled to have spent this time with you mj this has uh, been just a, a ton of fun and I know that my teammates on the Interventional Mindset will be coming back and asking you for for more pearls. Uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate the fact that you've spent this time with us. Um, and it just, this has been a blast.
1: Thanks, Daryl. You rock always. You're a great host. You're, a, right. world of, you're a world of wisdom. It's D, D, the W in his name is wisdom. So that's <laughs> why I like <laughs> so
0: this is uh, is Daryl White and <laughs> we're gonna uh, sign off and thanks for joining us in interventional you mindset.